Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 145 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I read books that we've not yet read together for the first time, for me at least, and then we talk about them, and that's the show. There's got to be a way I could streamline that to make it smoother and I mean, cleaner. You, you certainly failed just now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the opposite of streamlining. Yeah. You know that what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to go in, put in whatever I just said into chat GPT and say, hey, make this smarter. <laughs> 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 and then it'll tell me what to say. I mean, and really, then, do, do, do we need you as a co-host anymore if we have chat GPT? If, uh, what it, well, you need someone to put the prompts in. That's true, because I so wouldn't do it. I would have to be there putting the prompts in and then just reading back whatever it says. I like it. And then that would be the show. Rob be, said You would be your this. own cue card guy. Yeah. Um, it would re- it would put a lot of onus on you in the editing to like cut out all the pausing while I type and wait. Um, but Oh, my God. Again, please tell me how to fucking edit. Okay? I, I so appreciate all of your suggestions. Good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So in this episode of a show where Rob and, this I process. Read, Rob and I read books that we've not read for the first time and then share our notes with each other, in, in this episode of that, um, we're finishing Hannibal by Thomas Harris, chapters 86 to the end of the book. This is the book wrap party. Welcome. It's also sort of the series wrap party because we're, we're not reading the next the other one, right? Oh, no. We're done. Yeah. Yeah, there ain't no Hannibal Rising. Because, again, once again, I got to reiterate, Hannibal Rising is the equivalent of uh, Don Corleone going to that promoter and telling him that he needs to let Johnny's contract go or his brain, his brains or his signature are going to be on the contract. That's how Hannibal Rising was basically written. Dino De Laurentiis is like, uh, you got to write on this book. Or someone else is going to write of this book. I just look at it like this. We have... um, This story... This finishes the story for me. This book. And I don't know if Hannibal Rising is a prequel or if it comes after, but... It's a prequel. It's a prequel? Yeah. I don't need that. No. Um, Not really. So... Anyway, so we're not going to go that after that. So this really is the series wrap party of the Red Dragon through Hannibal series. All right. Do you have any housekeeping before we jump right into Chapter 86? I thought I did, but I don't see it, so I guess I don't. Well, let's hope it comes up later if you did have something. So let's jump into Chapter 86, where Clarice interrupts Hannibal's banquet, saving his life. Three of Mason's men die in the scuffle, and Clarice is stuck with a tranquilizing dart. Or two. Now it's Hannibal's turn to rescue her. Locking the gate so Mason's pigs can eat his Italians, Hannibal carries Clarice to her car and drives into the night. Very interesting chapter to start this episode on. It honestly would have been a probably better episode to end the last episode on, or chapter to yeah. end the last one on. Because no. I think this might be arguably like the climax of the story. Yeah, I can see that. It, it, Everything uh, else is kind of denouement. Yeah, this this really like it completes the arc of that. Most of the book has been built up into of Mason working really hard to orchestrate this event and pull it off and get it to happen, and then it, and then this is when that dream dies. Um, 
Mason twerking hard. Well, he he can't really. He doesn't. He's kind of immobile. Hey man, um, said it. Do you have any notes on it? Uh, yeah, I got a couple. Um, we get more examples of Starling continuing to think erratically. She's like when 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 she was thinking, oh, I could just put Doctor Lecter in the trunk of my car. What's erratic about that? I feel like she's flying by the seat of her pants, and her decisions are not necessarily well thought out. You don't get that, though. You think it's reasonable to put somebody in the trunk of your car? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know her vehicle that well. Uh, my vehicle doesn't have a trunk, so... Um, it was that souped-up Mustang, the 88 Mustang? No, I know. I just don't know what size trunk it has. I mean, he's a, he's it's a boxy, small man. probably like a Volvo sedan. Okay. I mean, people being put in trunks is such a trope that it doesn't strike me as anything other than completely reasonable. I'm not saying it's not reasonable, but I don't think it's completely reasonable. I think the way she's doing it is is a kind of frantic, uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I can safely transport him in the trunk. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'll do. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get that. She, 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 op- for me, she operates so well in in rescuing Hannibal that it seems like she's very much on her game here. Well, I guess we disagree. Yeah, then that's fine. I mean, I, I kind of wish I believed what you, how you're seeing it, because it will. I think what you're seeing might help c- cover up some of the issues I have later. Yeah, but um, uh, um. Yeah. Lecter not being charged or attacked by the pigs is explained, but it always has a ring of fanciful about me. Oh, Even yeah. supernatural, but perhaps I'm just being superstitious, but I kind of agree with Tommaso or whoever was left alive. I'm just like, that's fucking weird, man. It's certainly weird, but it's all, I don't find it any weirder than the fact that Hannibal has red eyes. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense to me, so, like... Okay, fact, fair enough. Like, those two things are, like, he, it's, it's just... To me, it's. It, I look at it like, because uh, I, I mean, it's not like I didn't notice that in the story, sure. and that it, that it, it didn't strike me as sort of weird. But it is sort of like, uh, it's Beowulfy. It's like he is this legendary creature, a creature of myth. Hannibal is a mythic monster mm-hmm. in this world, and mm-hmm. in he he can. He he his uh his supernatural, if you will, like stature is exuded to the point where even beasts recognize him like on some sort of like animal level and i i i think that that's fine like it it sort of plays into a lot of the other stuff we've seen him do i guess it's again if you if you can have red eyes i guess you can stare down a pig and that's fine okay all right chapter 87 after settling a furious mason into his bed Margot drives to the barn and assesses the damages. She encounters a frantic Tommaso who brings her up to speed regarding the night's events and that Clarice and Hannibal have escaped. She pays him the money he was owed for his services and they part ways. Margot takes the cattle prod. No notes. Uh, I don't have any notes, but the, I think it's important to note here that if you if you haven't read what you should, you should read along. Um, that This is Margot beginning to... She's decided at this point to enact Hannibal's plan mm. of murdering Mason and taking his semen. So anyway, yeah, that's a and and also the fact that she also chooses to keep Tommaso alive is really interesting to me. And that we get some of that stuff we talked about last episode. That's sort of like finite foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. This idea that 
Uh, Tommaso will survive this, and he will grow old, and he will constantly talk about this story in his old age. This is different, I think, um, because his story is over. Yes, it's not, it's not exactly the same as Finite Foreshadowing because we don't come back to him. But like at this point, but at this point, we don't know his story's over. You only know his story's over when the book's over. And oh. We still have we still have many many chapters. See, I thought I I, I just. I've seen authors do this in several ways, and so I just thought this was the author going, and yeah, we're done with him. Close on right. that scene. Next. Right. I thought that was how he did but maybe he could have been a little more obvious about it. That's a pretty fair assessment, I think, but I'm always doubting. Mm. I'm always keeping my options open. Who knows You've been when... been burned before. Who knows when Barney will come back and do some weird shit. Barney would never see a pigeon again. That's like an example of what Thomas Harris does. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> chapter 88. Margot murders Cordell and successfully milks Mason before forcibly stuffing the eel down Mason's throat. She plants Dr. Lecter's hair and scalp in Mason's hand, just like Hannibal instructed. She leaves the scene with a condom stuffed with the future. I like that. That's nice. I felt an odd pang of fear for Margot as she left the eel in Mason. Because what if he survived somehow? But she just left the monitor of the monitors. So I was like, whew. I did kind of feel bad for the eel. Creepy as those were. I'm like, I get it. And it's it's pretty Hannibal. But also, poor eel. He didn't do nothing. Yeah. It's a, it is a rough, like, death to read. Because... Yeah. It's it's very it's brutal, um, but it's also like a little confusing. Like it's hard for me to understand how having an like like how big is this eel? How big is Mason's mouth? Like there's a lot of physics in, in, and logistics in it that I'm like struggling with. Because, well, eel heads taper, right? Yes, but they're also very wig wriggly. Like so, you'd have to basically shove it. Like how does Mason die? Oh, he drowns. She says, yeah, he, he drowns, drowns on his own blood. blood. Yeah. Right. Okay, never mind. That makes sense. Um. um. And, and, oh, and with that, with that eel's fucking pharyngeal jaws, which are so creepy. Okay, it's fine. He's 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 okay to be dead that way. Um, no, but it's um, it was kind of nice to see somebody get like their comeuppance because there's not a lot of that in this book. I mean, there's there's a couple. I guess Krenler and Mason both get theirs, but like Cordell. there's also Cor- Cordell, yeah. But there's also some people who like aren't necessarily innocents who kind of get away with it. Mm. Um, so anyway, uh, but that's for later. So do you have any more notes in that chapter? Uh, no. What does that bring us to then? Part six, a long spoon. And chapter 89, Hannibal monitors Starling's recovery from the near double tranquilizer dose and imagines a world where he can reverse time and reunite with his sister. His thoughts end with wondering if Starling could take Misha's place in the world, in his world. I, uh, all I know in this chapter is in the interim between last episode and this, I did watch A Brief History of Time. Hmm. It's kind of interesting in an old documentary kind of way, made some interesting film choices. Have you seen it? No. Uh, it's interesting. All the people interviewed, there are no supers for them. They just talk. Oh, weird. And then at the end, opera style... 
they're listed like Stephen Hawking's mom. I forget what her name. Let's say Janet Hawking. I don't think that's right, but it says Janet Hawking. And then it's and then as her credit, it's like the first five words of the first thing she said. Weird. Like how in an opera, the song's not called a song. It's just called, you know, the first like Largo Alfactotum is the first thing he sings in Largo Alfactotum. Um, it was it was very odd. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, Stephen Hawking kind of seems like a dick. And uh, he's no Carl Sagan. So I, I sat through it for this podcast, but nothing really. They, they know, did show a teacup breaking. No one is Carl Sagan. I have watched Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos. I have. It, no one is Carl. Carl Sagan is so fucking good. <laughs> he really at, is. At that stuff. And he he has this. I think there's another thing about him that's like I don't think it's enough credit. Is not only is he imaginative and intelligent and has this wonderful capacity to see into the future and predict things and comprehend the universe. And I don't just mean like the larger mathematical universe, but I even mean like human nature. Sure. Um but he also there is something so uniquely um coercive is kind of what I want to say, but more like, like persuasive. Yeah. Persuasive about his voice, the specific way that he enunciates and, and says things (laughs) is so the idea of coercive Carl Sagan. I'm going to uh, make you an offer. You can't refuse. Yeah. It's all coming back to the Godfather. today. (laughs) It's, it's, that's that's how he he feels. He feels he's like he's just got this sort of soothing persuasiveness. Yeah, I, I guess. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, no one I is completely Carl agree. Neil deGrasse Tyson. I will call him neat. That's as much. That's, <laughs> that's as best I can give him. But he he always feels like he's trying to put on. And this is completely only my read. It's what I bring to it. I understand. But it feels like he's trying to put on sexy voice, like late oh. night you know, 70s DJ. Yeah. He, love to he, my eardrums. And I'm he like, does, he does drop his timbre when he yeah. wants to make a point. And I'm like, it's, it's fine. It just, I don't connect with it as much. Nebulas. And it, it, it grates after a while. I'm like, okay, man. Nebulas are the nursery of the universe. You got my pants off. Let's go. <laughs> Gross. Move <laughs> to the next step. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, you didn't figure out how to time travel and bring back your dead sister from I watching that not. documentary. I did no. Well, you're not the only one. Um, all right. Next chapter. Hmm. Chapter 90. Hmm. Local, po- local police interview Margot and go over the murder scene, not yet noticing Hannibal's scalp in Mason's hand. Which, my only note here is sort of a post-credit note. I don't think we ever hear about Hannibal being charged with Mason's murder. or th- that. I don't think that comes up later. It does. Well, it, I felt like if it didn't happen in this chapter, it, it there's a there's a chapter where the police shows up and plays the recording of Hannibal gloating for Margot. Oh, yes, that's correct. I, I felt like that was Thomas Harris saying they've taken the bait. The police are done with the story. Okay, fair enough. I, I felt it kind of Hitchcockian, that moment where she looks at the scalp, like, have they found it yet? Like those old classic yes, war movies, yes, like, you're going to give really yourself away, point. shut the fuck up. Right, that's a really um, good point. 
that's, but then that's... they don't do anything else with that. So that was good. Good for Margot. Yeah, I can imagine a slow push on the scalp that people are just walking by, like not like cops are just doing cutting other back stuff. to her eyes. Um, she, they did mention that they were like testing the water in the tank, which I thought would be a bad idea, considering that that's where she put like didn't she clean off the cattle prod in there or something horrible? Like, it felt like she put something in the aqua in in the water that would have maybe tipped it. To, it was she that did it. I don't think there's anything that she did that Hannibal couldn't have done. Okay, fair Especially enough. Especially if she had the the spiky glove on while using the cattle prod. Right. Gross. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving on. Chapter 91. Starling begins to rouse, and Hannibal explains where she is and continues to care for her. So, to give a little more context, because um, this is this is the, the the notes of a person who just read this and wants to move on. Or the summary of that person. So what what's happening is that Hannibal has rescued Starling from those uh, tranquilizer darts that she took. One of them hit her in the sh- in the shin and probably didn't give her too much of an extra dose. But he's nervous and worried that she might die and go catatonic or, or you know stop breathing because of the tranquilizer. So right. he takes her to his apartment, his rented house, and puts her up takes care of her, gives her an IV, like monitors her, because he is a doctor, he does some tests on her, he does things like poke her foot with a with a key to see if she has sort of, if, if, how she responds to that. Right, right. Um, he, and he's monitoring her and, and taking care of her and providing her with anything she would need at that point. And that continues through every time they interact for the next couple chapters, that him caring for her in that specific way continues. So the next time I describe it, in the summary is it being sort of short and simple. Uh, that's really what's happening is this overall like caretaking that he's doing for her. Do you have any notes in this chapter? No. Uh, chapter 92 then. Oh wait, let me, let me, let me, let me retract that. I don't have a written note, but I had, did have a thought while you were talking. Um, and that is, this is probably a good time to bring up that this is the arc I believe that inspired Jodie Foster to not want to come back. Really? Yeah. Or she said Mike Clarice wouldn't do this. Just referring to the book, but I feel like this is where that decision was was being made on her part because this is a departure from what we may have thought we knew. Yeah, I have thoughts about that. Okay, we'll get to it more later. I'm sure. <laughs> no, but is I, I appreciate. I, I was. I had intended to ask you after finishing what was the issue because i was honestly expecting it to be something like like something tacky like clarice is raped in the story oh and i was thinking you know that would that would be kind of passe and weak and i would i would understand her being like i'm not interested in portraying a character this character like that not that but i i will i will spoil the movie for you if you don't care well does uh, it, when we well, get there I, I mean i do want to read the, i do want to see the movie oh okay well if you want to see the movie then, yeah. but go Sorry. ahead we're, we're not going to talk about it again on the show so spoil it oh no we'll get to it we're not there yet oh okay i, I, I want to go through the book and well just as long happens. as you do this episode in this episode don't you i'm going to spoil a okay. fucking ad movie sounds great all right anything else no all right chapter 92 Hannibal and Starling become more comfortable together. Clarice discovers the tracking device in her car and turns it off, then puts it in a plastic bag as evidence because it might contain Krendler's fingerprints. That's it. I mean, that's it. Chapter 93. Krendler takes a call from a congressman, inviting him to meet with Margot about his political aspirations. Meanwhile, Clarice is uh, registered as a missing person after her gun, formerly belonging to Brigham, 
was found at the crime scene. Ardelia Mapp continues working for Clarice behind the scenes at the FBI. Yep. A lot of more. That was a lot of loose ends being like sort of like not tied up, but led to being tied up. Like this was a very foundational chapter to later chapters that will just finish all those loose ends. Fair enough. Uh, chapter ninety four. Hannibal drug Starling inducing a hallucination where she has a pleasant morning with her dead father. So, I don't have any notes, but I did want to ask how you envision this takes place. It's a great question. I mean, the two basic possibilities I see are Hannibal dresses up like her dad, and she is so hypnotized slash drugged that he just tells her you see your dad, and she does. Or... He props up her dad's hat in the corner and DMs from another part of the room and says, this is your dad. You're seeing him. This is what he says to you. What do you say? I feel more comfortable with the second one because it doesn't have the japery of Hannibal playing dress up, but I honestly don't know. I actually do envision this the first one more. Okay. That's how I see it because they move in space. They're not standing in the rooms look, just looking at each other talking the whole time. They do things like they move around and they eat oranges and they do other things. That's a good point. That's a good point. And so in that way, um, I would have a harder time imagining Hannibal puppeteering a like a scarecrow of her dad around. Naked at Starlings. Yeah, and, and her being like, no, this is believable. Uh, <laughs> even in my drug state, I... I'm not. I I I would doubt this. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, but if he like puts on makeup or like, which again, he I I would believe he has the skill set and inclination to do, and even at least the movie Hannibal or 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 the some sort of version of Hannibal, I could imagine being crafty enough to disguise his voice and change some things around to successfully mimic someone. I mean, I that's possible, but I feel like there's so much power of suggestion and drugs happening. He can just say, no, I'm your dad. That's sure. what you hear from your memory. But I do believe he's putting on her, his clothes and okay. like, and walking around and talking to her and, um, working through that. Very interesting. I like, um, I like slash him creeped out by him spending like two weeks, just getting all the data. Like, like she just tells him everything ever about her dad. And he uses that to kind of create a character to play. Right. I will say this as a criticism of the book. I think that the chapter where Hannibal goes to excavate her father's grave hmm. should have happened later. It should have happened in this section where cuz cuz to me with the place it's located in in the story that that section happens before he's rescued by her from Mason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sort of adds a little too much foreknowledge of what's happening later. Fair enough. Like he, he would have to expect to be able to kidnap her and have this exchange with her despite maybe he doesn't realize Mason's after them, him. Oh, I think I he like, does because I feel like he planned for things there too. Right. So like it's very, it's a little overconfident. I think I will defend the mechanics of it. Although I believe your point stands and that is there's a line about how, the crabs on Dr. Lecter's beach right, clean the bones. And to back time that from clean, dry skeleton to what was in the ground, Thomas right. Harris was like, uh, that would take this much time, so Hannibal would do it at this point of the book. And I feel like probably didn't think about anything more story-wise because you are correct. Narratively, it would have made sense to do it later. 
I still think that there are easier, faster ways to do that if you were like a taxidermist. Sure. Than I mean, you could boil it. Well, yeah, and that's wonders. what I'm saying. Like, like, but but also like after, it's been like 30 years. Yeah. Or or 20 years since the guy died. There's not much left to hit for him for the crabs to pick off. Right. Like it it would be surprising to me if 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 there was more than bones. So. I don't know. It it, it just it it's fine. It just feels like. Like, I can accept that, because there's that line about the crabs, that's true, but, like, it just feels like I would have preferred it there, where it's building towards the thing we're seeing now, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just being a weird sort of off chapter that you have to kind of remember later. That seems completely reasonable. And it also, like I said, suggests that he fully expects to make it out of this to this later point, which I, I think kind of breaks the tension of building to Will Hannibal survive Mason's attack. Right. But anyway, weird chapter. Um, I think this this chapter is really important. I'm going to put a pin in it as for it's it's the only thing that I think that pushes against my later complaints. Okay. But so put a pin in this chapter as I will be referencing it later. Chapter 95. Hannibal analyzes the results of the drug induced hypnotherapy. He's determined Starling's rigid respect for the law is cemented in her respect for her father, but is not immovable. She bends her rules if she's identified the person wearing a badge as a criminal, like she did in Mason's pig barn, where she shot Miguel. That's not his name. It's there's there's it's not Migs either. It's another guy. It's like a it's a it's like a retired officer who had a ba- a badge that Mason had hired to. I even thought it was a, just a local his. sheriff affiliate character who wasn't even retired. But yes, he was on Mason's payroll either way. Yeah, he was help. He was assisting in in he, whatever. He was this there was. in case something went south. He could he could have the appearance of being the law right and she shot him through the badge as it were that's that chapter um well no i've got some notes okay uh there's something amusing because there's a paint the point where dr Lecter is like oh these schoolgirl recollections are getting tedious um there's something amusing to me about like dr Lecter's impatience with therapy like the tootsie roll owl he just wants to bite through a person's defenses and get to that sweet sweet torrential interior it's funny I think that's another thing. I think it's interesting you bring that up because multiple times in these, in this section that I'll call the courtship of Clarice Starling. I like it. Um, the Hannibal, at least two or three times, and this is one of them, expresses frustration or dissatisfaction with her in a way that you would, ex- that it feels threatening. Yes. It feels like a, a creepy scary. boyfriend. Yes, like a controlling, over, like mm-hmm. overbearing boyfriend. Like an Edward Cullen. Yes. And that really strikes me as, like, odd for him because he's doing so much else for her mm-hmm. that is so helpful and arguably, like, for her greater good. Like, helping her work through these issues. Well, in his mind, helping her work through these things that are holding her back psychologically like her, her dealing with her guilt about her father dying and all that other stuff his hypnotherapy is working on. But then he's like also expressing this frustration with it. It just feels like frustration feels beneath him to me. Interesting. And it's interesting to, because to me, he's so disciplined in every other aspect of his life that I would, I just have this expectation that he tolerates frustration or processes it so quickly that he wouldn't even recognize it anymore. It's how I kind of see it. See, 
I I feel like there's room in the world for both. Mm-hmm. Because this kind of feels like Thomas Harris answering anybody who might build up Hannibal in their mind, like the bad boy that just needs the right person to save. Mm-hmm. And he's going, in all these other instances, he did, he had no fucks to give, and that's what made him kind of compelling to watch. But now he has to compromise if he wants X result. And he is a monster at the end of the day, and this is what compromise is looking like in his head. Where, yeah, he likes Clarice, but even then, he's still a fucking monster and is going to have these buttons. And since he doesn't want to necessarily kill her, that's where that um, conflict is happening inside his head. Yeah. But, but again, don't forget, this guy is a bad guy, not someone that you're going to save with your love. Yeah, yeah. I just never thought of it. I, I don't have that idea about saving him with love. I, I think not, of it more like, like if he's if he's going to be the guy who is he has so many disciplines that he's mastered that I would imagine that this character would see her as just another sure. thing to to master. And having done things like like become a surgeon and and become a master like artist and uh, musician, that something as simple as executing his skill set, which is what I'll say he's doing here. Seems odd that he would be that frustrated by it um, in this way. I mean, not only because only because of how masterfully disciplined it is not. I understand. It doesn't surprise me that someone who's doing like, look, I have my own skills that I can execute and I find frustrations in in accomplishing them. Sometimes I can relate to that. If you were going to build a deck and then you find out that one of your boards is, is bowed in the middle, you're going to be bummed out and you're going to have to like be frustrated and go get a new one, replace it or whatever you're going to do. No matter what that progress project is, I can understand still being frustrated by like bumps in the road. And that's what he's expressing here is a bump in the road and being frustrated by it. But for him, it just feels like that's what elevates him to this sort of terrifying level is that his, he doesn't even process those things is how I interpret him. But I, uh, first of all, regarding being a musician and a doctor, I think he's that freakishly genius person who it was never a trial for him. Once he Mm -hmm. learned how music worked, he sat down and went, Oh, this is how it goes. I just need to be familiar with the harpsichord and then I've got it. And you're like, God, that's annoying. Um, but Regarding the saving with love thing, I don't specifically think that you or I thought that, but I feel like in the interim, after writing Science with the Lambs, Harris may have been bombarded by female fans who were like, oh, I just love this Hannibal guy, and I think I could make him straight and narrow. And so that's what I meant by an answer to that. Mm. That, that Just that idea. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Lector the Protector. There's, did, did you catch that line? No. Where I wasn't quite clear if it was the narrative or Hannibal himself, but he it was saying he now became Lecter the Protector in regards to he used to needle Starling about her dad. And now he's needling her about his, her dad because of the yes. hypodermics. Yes. <laughs> Specifically, however, he called her he called him a night watchman and, and tried to get under her skin. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, but now regarding her dad's memory, whenever she started to say something negative, he became Lecter the Protector. Oh, interesting. Um, and I just that just made me think, it's like the churlish tabloid monikers appeal to him. Like he enjoyed Hannibal the Cannibal, and now he was keeping that going with Lecter the Protector in his head. Interesting. And this um, is the chapter where I also re- recognize it's just possible this Hannibal Lecter guy is kind of messed up. Just possible. 
possible that he's not a good guy. Yep. But that's all I have for 95. Just again to get in, to, to sort of get back to that, the whole point about him needling her. It is mentioned very weirdly later how much their relationship is about him penetrating her. And her oh, I've got the quote. Delphi. I've got the quote. Don't you worry. Don't okay. you worry. <laughs> we will get to that later. Okay. All right. So next chapter, 96. After breaking and entering Barney's apartment, Ardelia Mapp questions him about Clarissa's disappearance at gunpoint. He knows nothing, so she leaves him with a threat that if he's lying, she'll kill him. He has trouble sleeping. I, I only note here, I have a note, and it's just that I found the, after she leaves, he, he does something with the mirror that I found confusing, which is later more explained and mm-hmm, cleared up, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it just is another one of those things where it's like, man, describing action in a, mo- in a, in a story like this is so difficult because People like me just look at it and go, I don't this. I have no point of reference for what the fuck is happening here. It just seems like a bunch of odd words smashed together. And I'm supposed to understand that it has meaning. Yep. Similarly, he goes and gets a rape kit. And I was like, yes, curious about that. Don't know why he did it. I feel like it'll be explained, but it's weird. Yeah. It felt like that when, when Hannibal digs up Clarice's dad, where it was like, I don't know why this is here. I don't know why it's written in this way. It's, it doesn't. It doesn't feel completely out of place, but it's it just feels sort of rushed, I guess. Like, you know, and, and the corpse had uh, had bullet holes in the in the hat, or uh, and and Barney goes and gets a rape kit. Period. Anyway, it's fine. I don't know if we get to it later, but um, oh yeah, I, we I do I do in my summary. <clears throat> yeah. Any other notes in that chapter? Nope. All right, chapter ninety-seven. Hannibal prepared an elegant table setting for three as he's expecting to have an honored guest for dinner. Because that's like the that's like a callback. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I'm having an old friend for dinner. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, Lita and the Swan. Okay. The house is, is that... full of paintings and motifs of Lita and the Swan. Yeah, isn't, is that, isn't that the Greek thing? Fucked up 16th century porn. Yeah. Yes, it is Greek, but in the 1600, I get here's the first paragraph from Wikipedia. The subject undoubtedly owed its 16th century popularity to the paradox that it was considered more acceptable to depict a woman in the act of copulation with the swan than with a man. The earliest depictions show the pair love making with some explicitness, more so than any depictions of a human pair made by artists of high quality at the same period. And it's a thing. There's a there's a lot of these paintings of this chick fucking a swan, and it's weird. But it's not directly related to like the zoo smith. No, it is. No, it is. Oh, okay, it okay. is. I'm just saying, in the 1600s when that shit was happening and everyone was painting Jesus and everyone was painting the Greek gods, but you know, in oddly a Renaissance looking clothes, this one was just high art slash porn, and everyone loved there because they could get away with oh yes look at that my art <laughs> yes it's weird it is weird it's fucking weird well it's weird what's weird to me is that we would feel like that that like porn porn and it has existed forever and, ever and the idea that like it just is a weird like i'm curious about why why is that the context we have for that in history now let me explain um, somebody 
somebody wrote that thing that you described right. about about it being uh, more acceptable to see her having sex with a swan than having sex with a man. Here's a couple questions I have about that. Okay. That notion of that analysis. One, okay. is it suggesting that all art or all depictions of, of paintings or whatever would would need to be displayed publicly in the home? Um, no, two, I don't think so. Oh, so well, you, you, do you want me to wait or can I take No, no, I, I don't, I'm not asking you to actually answer any of these. Oh, these no, I'm going to answer every single one. simply the problems I have. <laughs> um, two, um, it sort of suggests that, like, a notion that um, these people who, I guess, I guess 16th century is different for me because I don't really know what the customs were and, and where, where these paintings existed. Like where did they come from France or Italy? Like where, like I'm not sure where they were. Italy was a big one. A lot of okay. them. I mean, all the turtle names are, are Italian. Right. But like, and they talk about Donatello being a, a painter of lead on the swan. Right. So like, it's the Renaissance, so it's arguably the Enlightenment, or it's mm-hmm. it's it's you're you're moving past religious. Uh, stuff. But it's religious is still really big. It is, and it's but, influencing everything. That's why you have to Da Vinci code that shit. Right. So so, but then I'm thinking about like, I find it surprising to think that someone would want to commission or or acquire pornography essentially. And then displayed in their home, regardless of what kind of acceptableness it had. Like the idea that that is something someone would understand. I'm very curious about why. Like where where did they get that? What's the supporting information that they're not sharing about why they have that context? I mean, there were footnotes. I just didn't read them. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, that that would be the interesting thing to me. It would be like, where is this notion that this is pornographic and also more acceptable than? copulation between two humans like when, when i go visit like you know museums and i see old you know uh renaissance paintings and things like that there's there's lots of div- talk about nudity specifically in the human form being a very specific thing that uh you would be re- kind of required to be able to depict accurately right. that's interesting and makes sense to me but the idea that like i don't know that any of it would be so titillating as to be pornographic seems odd to me mm. anyway those are my hangups, uh, based in ignorance, and that's where they're, they will not evolve, because that is the American way. Okay. <laughs> Do you have any more notes in that chapter? I don't. You didn't. Did you? Did you get? Uh, did you get off, as it were, like Migs on how elegant everything Hannibal was doing in preparation for his dinner? Were no. I didn't have as much fun as I did when Hannibal went shopping. Okay, it felt a lot like that. It, it did, but I was—I I mean, I'm—I've never been one for plating, and this felt more like plating than you know buying the ingredients. Um, I'm just like glop the food on the plate and go. <laughs> I don't care what I'm making. Um, so, so I'm like, yeah, okay, you got flowers and shit, whatever. I this, really this part didn't do as much for me as 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 the as the shopping. But go ahead. I really liked the part where Hannibal is eyeballing where like he's like sitting where he will sit and he's sort of like eyeballing the framing of where Clarice is in his line of sight. Something about that I found really charming to be like, to be like, I need to make sure we are this far apart and everything is this sort of position because this is how I will see her. And I was like, Oh, I can imagine doing that. Like, uh, like you're setting up a shot is what he's doing. And that's, that's fascinating to me that that would be part of what he was essential to him in his experience. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Anyway. I mean, he's literally making a memory. Yeah. He's manufacturing how it's going to be. Yeah. And that forethought, oh. prob- doing that actually probably helps him place things in his memory palace. So that's interesting. Well, it, it, you mention it. it reminds me of, of how Ansel Adams used to say something along the lines of, you don't take a photograph, you make it. Mm. Um, the idea being that there goes so there's so much more involved with how you position your camera, how you fr- set up your framing, how you expose it, how you what time of day, like all these different elements that you have to take into consideration to achieve that that moment that you want to capture, mm-hmm. and then capture it. And that seems like what Hannibal's doing to me. Totally, totally. He is. is he is creating his shot mm-hmm. um and his his experience and his memory like you said in the way that he wants it to be perfect it's very it's interesting it um is. it's it's relatable to for me all right chapter 98 Margot visits barney and we learn a little bit about why he put a mirror in an electrical box and why he got a rape kit and why he got a rape kit it's so that he could see him he could see behind himself when he was digging up hannibal's old prison mask uh he takes from the mask some of Hannibal's DNA and gives it to Margot, Making sure uh, to put his own fingerprints on it. Right. So like, and here's he, incriminating evidence. Please don't kill me. Right. And in exchange, she gives him a big sack of money and doesn't kill him. So that's sort of that. That's yeah. what happens there. She does make a line about going to see all of the... Vermeers. Vermeers in the world mm-hmm. with the, the, the money. Because that was the thing they had talked about him wanting to do. Anyway... That's that. That's it. And that was the that was the thing he does that that was weird where he goes out and he buys like a a small mirror and a rape kit and he puts the mirror in an electrical box and I just kept thinking what what does that mean why would you what is that the fake because if he is a fake rape he has a access to an empty hole in his wall because right. there's two electrical boxes right the ones disused right but yes it is it was weird it, it it again without understanding why he would do that it just felt like an odd nonsense section and then I'm glad it paid off I mean. It, Thomas Harris isn't that sloppy of a writer that no. he would do something that ridiculous. But anyway, all right, uh, moving on to chapter 99. Hannibal and Clarice prepare for an exquisite dinner. Clarice has provided stunning jewelry and clothes for the evening. Their conversation is odd, somewhat coded. Hannibal is preparing her for something she may find shocking. And I do have a note here. Um, okay, so I feel like it's this is we're going to start talking about about it a little bit now hey, i really the, like the, her outfit the good i'm glad plunging um, neck the cream plunging neckline and the the exquisite beaded jacket i like it yeah the uh the hannibal and clarice love affair as it were which we haven't yeah. gotten quite there yet but i feel like this is a good time to talk about it yeah um because there's there's two two notes that i want to make the first is that uh, this will have, I mean, maybe I will only talk about the one. I'm only going to talk about one right now. So let's okay. pause. Let's pause both of them and I'll only talk about one. Okay. This is the, the, the only one I'll talk about now. <laughs> Sorry to keep reiterating that, but it's, I'm just trying to get my mind straight. I think this section is the strongest I felt the tone of the Hannibal TV show up here. Yes, absolutely. This, this feels like the oddly seductive Hannibal that groomed Will Graham. Yes. Not entirely sure that I feel like Clarice has undergone a similar maturation and is therefore more difficult for me to accept her casual relationship with Hannibal. I also don't know how much the drug cocktail has influenced her in a way that 
I would be bothered by. That's what's up in the air, and that's what they never really answer. Because obviously with just hypnosis, you can never be induced to do something you, you would never do, they always say. Sure. But if drugs are involved, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I also hypnosis isn't a real thing. Sure. So, oh, absolutely. So like Um Well, and there's that too, that whole power of suggestion that's it's you know on a subconscious level you're just going along with it because you feel like you've been hypnotized and so you have a, an excuse to do this thing you might not otherwise do. Yeah. Um but again with the drugs how much is this Clarice just saying fuck it all and how much of this is Hannibal steering her thoughts as it were. Well, I don't know. She's she's very well like she keeps her composure for the rest of the book. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so I don't I don't feel like she's But she also has kind of a, a um untethered balloon quality sometimes where she's just kind of like, Yeah, sure, okay, whatever. Yeah. But then again, like, like you said, drugs. like like he's like, Oh, don't use that vulgar term. She's like, Fuck you, I'll talk how I want and you're like Right. She what kicks is back it? to him a couple it's times. So what? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's it's. Is he just creating a scenario where she could, on a subconscious level, say, "I'm not in control," and so therefore it's okay for me to do these things? Um, I think that that would undermine the actual relationship he wants. Okay. Um, I I think that she needs to he needs to push her to the point where she can fully appreciate him, and I think that's what he's doing, and I think that's what he invent. In, uh, inevitably succeeds in doing but it's it's a uh, i still think that and we'll, we'll we'll get more into it later <laughs> even though we're almost at the end we just have to get there sure first i i really appreciate how much of the tone of the show comes from like this small section of the trilogy absolutely and mm-hmm. i think that that's really incredible mm-hmm. and and it speaks to uh brian fuller's capacity for like to to relate to the story and empathize with it and pull out the important chunks and highlight them as opposed to the insignificant things and know that he was building towards this and know that he was building towards because no one like in science of lambs no one knew that and that's part of the reason jodie foster had no didn't you know found this distasteful because she didn't know this was the end point right whereas brian fuller was like i'm starting with this right and setting up everything towards it and that's why the show feels like it flows into this book so much more than anything yes. else. And in and, and the show, like you can, you really, and that's my biggest beef is that I just, at the end of the day, I don't, I didn't feel the journey for Clarice. Oh, sure. I felt, I felt it for Will in the TV show. Right. Because like, it was set up it from was, the beginning. Yes. And it was wonderfully done. That is completely, completely fair. And, and that's, so anyway, when the later, the further we get into the book, the more distasteful I feel about how it goes and how much I, I guess I just simply, agree with Jodie Foster. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll talk about that more when we get oh, yes, there we finally. Because I have a passage to read. Great. Great. So, so, but, but, so there we are. It, it is at least at this point, I, I want to give a lot of credit to Brian Fuller and that show again. The, the whole reason we're reading these books is because that show is uh, something we bonded over. Yep. And it's a, it's, it's just very, it's very good. It's just very good to see this and go, cool, finally I get, like, it wasn't Brian Fuller just being like, well, I just, this is a story I want to tell. <laughs> right, it, right, Because right. it's my story now. It's more right. like, it, it's being able to see like, oh no, 
this is where that came from. He didn't have the rights to Clarice. He was never going to get them. So he he took it. So it really speaks to again to how great he is to take, or they are in that show to take all the elements he had and tell such a compelling story. Right. Even though it had to branch off and break away from the source material in in a variety of ways he was still able to tell a compelling, exciting story about these two people with this same sort of butterfly, you know, transformation like experience. He was able to, um, to tell the story of red dragon through the lens of the book Hannibal. Yes. And thus make the whole thing cohesive. Yes. It's fascinating. It's, it it's really ex- exceptionally well done. Um, the third season really should have been, I kind of, I don't know. It's, it's tough because it's like, kind of feels like two seasons smashed into one i think that was the problem i think he knew that because i think originally he had planned to do like seasons three and four telling that story and was like oh shit they're wrapping up i need to let's condense it condense yeah i mean still just the the six episodes that comprise the red dragon storyline itself is more airtime than any of the movies have done on that story yeah. So that he at least had that, and he already did up all you know the setup in all the other episodes. So that's something in its favor. But I do agree, I wanted more. Well, and then doesn't that lead into the Florence stuff? Like, no, the Florence stuff is first. Florence stuff is first because then okay. he gets captured in Florence, and then like the the it's like basically the third season's broken into two halves. It's Florence and Mason Verger, right? And then the last half is Red Dragon. Okay. Anyway, it's I finally see the the design. I finally see how it led into Nicely this. Done. It's well done, and it's 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 a uh, I'm I'm grateful for it. And so that's before we get to the part where we I criticize more. I wanted to give a lot of credit at that moment. Okay, well, chapter one hundred finally gets us to the point where Clarice and Hannibal eat Krendler's brain. <laughs> yeah, and that it's not the climax, but it certainly is satisfying. It is. It is. Uh, this, I had such a visceral reaction to this the first time I read it. Yes. Uh, that's all I wanted. Just something. <laughs> I was just, I was, you didn't seem like you were finished. I thought you were going to say wasn't. something I wasn't. I wanted you to be like, oh, do tell me more. Um, this creeps me the fuck out. Which part? And eating Krindler's brain. Okay. And I, I will, expl- I will extra- extrapolate more or explain more. Um, first of all, though, in your copy, because I, I remember it this way, but my Kindle copy didn't have this. When Kendall is devolving, is his speech capitalized? That you remember? This, to sh- this to is sh- chapter one hundred. Yeah, to show like him shouting, because that's how I remember it, and it wasn't that way. Um, I'm so far not seeing any fair enough big jaunts of like full caps. I see italics, but just as the chapter progresses and Krendler gets stupider. And louder. That's the part that creeps me out. To like, in real time, see his brain being scooped out, affecting him, really was incredibly creepy to me. And I, yeah. I, I always have the echoes of that, even though I know it's coming now. It's just I'm just like ah. And it also speaks to how good a writer, how talented a writer. Mm-hmm. Thomas Harris is to take a character like Krendler who started off so stupid and then find somehow to degrade that even further. Yeah. Is masterful. Um, 
No, I actually saw a, I think there's a, I'm kind of fat. If I was a more ambitious or connected creative, I, I, I think that there is a, remember how I got you to, I, I pushed you and made you watch it's a, 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 a beautiful mind. Yes. I, I think that there is a similar story waiting to be told about, uh, how do you say this? Like the, the, tr- the, the 50s, the trend in, the, in, in, in mid-century America for very rich men to basically command doctors to lobotomize their wives and be able to, do, to be able to do it because why wouldn't they? These, these women are crazy. Um, Is that where the Stepford wives came from? I don't exactly know, but I, I am, uh, I've seen a little bit about it recently in other mediums. And I was just thinking of, and, and you know, related to this being, they, I think they describe it as a lobotomy essentially. Cause you no, they, no, a, they a absolutely, yeah. That like they, he, he started doing, uh, what speaking loudly as people with lobotomies are want to do. Right. And I, it just occurred to me like, I want to know more about that. I want to know more about what happened about this. If this is real and that's a real thing that happened, I want to know more about it. I don't think I know about this. Yeah. I see. It reminds me of like the, uh, the Japanese, uh, like the way the Japanese took, I forget what they're called, but it was like the, essentially like the pleasure camps where they would essentially take Korean women and use them as like forced concubines um, in World War II, and I didn't know if that was a thing, mm-hmm. and it is a, it, it absolutely is a thing, and did happen. And again, it seems so horrific and like history based that it feels like the kind of thing that there should be a big story about. Sure, that we should all be able to point to that and go, oh, yeah, that's that that's that dramatization of this real life horrible event. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look into this. Like, I'm very curious about both uh, of these now. Yeah, they're 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 horrible. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll have to look into that because I, I I think that there's an opportunity there to have a real dark horror story about like a woman who's just dealing like let's say she's just dealing with real life problems like her husband is kind of an asshole and she's not happy about it and she's found herself in this loveless marriage and so she like starts to stand up for herself and speak out and then he uses his privilege and his ability to convince a doctor that she's hysterical and insane and the only thing to do for her is to cut part of her brain out i mean that sounds exactly like the stepford wives only with you know robots instead of lobotomies but right uh it makes me wonder if there's a connection there because i'm yeah. i've not heard about this and it's super creepy <laughs> yeah um <laughs> anyway so um my oh so back to the chapter hmm. um i i that's that's I'm I'm it's interesting that you found that so creepy. Obviously, it's creepy. I don't know if I had at the same had the same creep feeling you had. I had different thoughts, but one of the things I did think was like, oh, the way that he's preparing the brain, I found interesting. Mm. Like they're mm-hmm. like breading it and frying it essentially after soaking it in a acetate solution so it doesn't devolve and doesn't melt it because basically right. you know gelatin or fat, so right. it just you know smoosh right away. So he's like got to firm it up a little bit. Yeah. And then, yeah, then a light little breading in front. Not unlike sweetbreads. Mm. Um, and then truffles all over. Fuck, this sound is so good. I'm sorry, Crendler and, and Brain. And yeah, eating people is wrong. But fuck, this sound is good. God, well, I it, it made me. It, 
it also made me think like I wonder what it would be like if you made brain sushi. Like it felt like it would be it would be really nice to put into a roll. Hmm. Um and and eat like that. I think the trickiest bit is texture and 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 figuring out how you want to do that. Yeah. Because yeah, it could just be like aspic. Mhm. Probably. Well, but, uh, okay. So, so that was an interesting aspect of this chapter. The only other thing I have a note in here about this chapter is that I, I'm the the drug induced Clarice. I'm still bothered by at this point because it just doesn't feel like the same character. It it just the things she's saying and doing feel like all of a sudden. It feels like all of a sudden to me because I'm not really quite sure how much time has passed, and I'm, I don't feel like Thomas Harris has done a great job explaining how disillusioned she's become with her previous life mm-hmm. up to this point, mm-hmm. because that's, I think what's missing for me is, but she's, she's treating, uh, Krenler and, and her situation. Like, like she is that late Hannibal will Graham, right? Like she, she is already transitioned into a budding cannibal and, uh, high society monster like Hannibal is. Um, and that just feels feels off to me, like cheap, like like not no, earned. It, yes, not earned, but it okay. does. It does. I wouldn't say cheap because he's putting a lot of effort into a lot of different things. But it does sure. feel like like I just. It feels like I. It's like the record skipped. It feels like I'm now suddenly at a different point, right, in the story, and I feel like I missed an integral transitional period. Fair, totally, totally fair. I mean, so this is where um, they talk about the twang of the crossbow bolt. Yes. Bow being the sound that would affect. It's like when I snap my fingers, you'll wake up. If you hear this. Right, right. You'll be... Now, and is there a double meaning there? Like if you hear this, it means I will have shot you and you will be right. dead. And that's you know, right. how you're free or just the sound of it. You'll be free. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing that I'm not understanding is how much hypnotized, how hypnotized she is, whatever that means. Because yeah. that sounds a lot like hypnotism. Like this, when you hear this sound, you will come back to your senses. And it's like odd. It just it's seems very odd. It's very odd. Um, like I, 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 I guess what I'm saying is what I mean by odd mm. is I feel like the story would be more powerful if Clarice makes this transition willingly. Yes. And I feel like Thomas Harris is doing so many things to undermine that willing transition, mm-hmm. like introducing the drugs, introducing hypnosis, introducing this idea that Hannibal himself is molding Clarice into what he wants her to be, as opposed to her going through a chrysalis and becoming the thing he wants her to be right on her own volition. Right. Like he guided Will Graham, but this is mind control. Yes. And that feels, that's the disconnect that I don't like. Like I don't buy that. I I guess I look at this and think, well, how long is it until she, she snaps out of it? Right. Um, and she won't, but why? But I I just, I just don't, I don't like that. So anyway, that's that you, I think you were going to say something. Uh, just the last note I have on this chapter. If you're done, I am. I uh, really enjoyed Dr. Lecter scraping the spent plates into Krindler's head. I did too. That, that was, was very that, funny. That, I'm like, <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, so what, what, a, what a great way to say, I really disrespect you as a person. Not only did I consume your brains, but you're just the fucking waste bin now, literally. It's it's very funny. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's remarkably humorous. It was. Um, okay. Chapter 101. Okay. Take a deeper breath. The only... Here's my summary. Okay. Starling offers her breast to Hannibal, and he accepts. 
I mean, can we maybe make it a little more detailed? I mean, that's... Hannibal, Hannibal talks about his sister and the veiled threat that Clarice is there to replace his sister. And Clarice offers her press. <laughs> Look, it, it, the way that it happens is it's it's very odd. So, so the, the way... Look, I've never understood the entire time reading this what Hannibal... What we're supposed to understand the notion of her replacing Misha is because Clarice's relationship with Hannibal becomes sexual. And I don't, and so I was thinking about like what that, like how to justify that. And I think that the answer I came up with is Hannibal, when Hannibal says that he's looking to replace his sister or, or find a way to get Clarice to take her place in the world. And as I mentioned earlier in his world, I think what that means is, Simply a person who he feels comfortable loving. Whatever kind of love that is, he doesn't have anyone who he can take care of, who he can love and be affectionate with, and who will be that way back to him. Regardless of the sexuality. Um, he cannot manifest another sister, but perhaps he can have a romantic relationship with a person who actually feels like family to him. Yes, but I do think there's supposed to be a disconnect of dementia, if you will, um, that part of him thinks it's actually his sister coming back. That's the only way he can phrase that. Like, what you're saying is exactly what it is, but part of his brain sees that as, but that's actually Misha coming back because he's still so traumatized. See, I think of it differently. I think of it that he... I think it's in a, in a sadder, more tragic way. Okay. I think what he sees is he sees the possibility of someone being able to love him, knowing everything there is to know about him is impossible. Mm. And it is so impossible that time travel seems more probable. Okay. So it's really order, sad. So in order to, so he pursues time travel as the more likely option because he's, he's that disconnected from other people and he's done so many horrible things. And Clarice becomes the only avenue through which he can achieve his goal to some degree. If his goal is just have someone to love him back. And that is also physically possible. Um, and I mean physically like physics. Like you can't fucking time travel. So here's a question for you. Okay. This conversation happens and Clarice says, well, what about this? And whips out her breast. Okay, so hold on. I'll, I'll, uh, that wasn't my question. Hold on. Okay, still talking. Um, is Clarice manipulating him and saying this is the way I? This is the only path I see through the forest where I'm alive at the end, or is she really like, yeah, I'm into him. Let's do this. Um, I think at this point she has become into him, okay. which is another thing that I don't feel like is very clearly depicted. Like she's certainly living in a sort of kept lifestyle and a bit of a lap la, uh, in the lap of luxury. Like she's taking lots of baths and eating lots of fine food and he plays music for her. There's multiple times where she asks him to play music for her, which is a very, I intimate. think depicted as it's a very intimate thing yeah, between absolutely. the two of them. And um, so I think that there's, there's moments there that are, that are moving us towards this, her being sincerely in enthralled by him and in love with him. The specific thing about her offering her breast to him, it's weird, 
but I, I get, I think it's also sort of like, it makes sense in the context of the story to me. Like the way she positions it is like, I think she thinks she's at a moment where he's either going to kill her or she could do this or she can do this. Yes. But I think that she doesn't walk into the situation trying to panic her way out of it. Gotcha. Like, I don't think she's a trapped animal. I think she just sort of realizes like, Oh, he needs something from me now. He needs to me to give of myself to him willingly. And then she sort of realizes altogether, and again, not in a rushed or panicked way, but just sort of realizes like this parallel between the idea that he wants her to be like to take his sister's place. And then she realizes that like how to communicate that is this thing about breastfeeding, this idea that like, you know, when you, when your sister came along, did you feel like you were losing something Mm -hmm. when she sort of, you know, evicted you from breastfeeding from your, your, your mother. Right. And Hannibal says, no, I would have absolutely not. I love my sister. I would have done that for her willingly and graciously. And then, and so Clarice sees herself as that in that same sort of transition, like it's time for him to, it's time for Misha to vacate willingly Hannibal's heart so that there's room for Hannibal. So, so no, so there's room for Clarice so that Clarice can come in and be that person that he no longer has to miss his sister because he has Clarice. Gotcha. And the only way for her to do that is for him is for her basically to offer herself to him in a very literal way as that replacement. And then the breast thing I think is like, it's symbolic of the notion she makes about breastfeeding, but also like, it's clearly an invitation sexually sure. into the next evolution of their relationship, which he really needed. So it's really a, like, it's a perfect way for her to do the things she needed to do. It's just also so fucking weird. I, this is, this is, this is what I found most interesting. I read this book a couple times. I never remember this part. <laughs> really? Which I think is very interesting, it, which is in itself interesting. I'm like, oh, it's I'm not saying I block it out, but I don't remember it. I was taken aback. I'm like, oh shit, right. Huh. Very weird. Very, very weird. I, w- I would never forget it. <laughs> well, I probably won't now since we're talking about it. Yeah, it must be the first time you've had someone to talk to about it and, yeah. then, and then be like, hey, don't forget this. It. Uh, so yeah, it is, it is strange, but I do think, again, like with all this context, it sort of makes sense, but it doesn't, it doesn't lessen the fucking weirdness of it mm-hmm. and i think for me that's the thing that's hard again still part of the challenge of accepting this transition into them being a couple right moving on to chapter 102 three years later while traveling the world to see all the vermeers barney accidentally sees hannibal and Car- clarice at the opera so uh it's it's a very odd three years later jump for me where it's sort of like the the characters are walking off into the sunset they clarice and hannibal are sexual partners they're in love with each other and they are li- where are they living now buenos aires buenos aires uh brazil i don't know where buenos aires is, is that spain i i think it's south america i want to say argentina let's let's look it up because okay. i don't I, I i have no problem sounding ignorant but i don't want to stay ignorant Ugh. How European of you. Uh, the city of Buenos Aires is neither a part of Buenos Aires province nor the province capital. Rather, it's an autonomous district. Argentina. I was right. Yay. Hey, you know what? Argentinian tea. Mm. Yay. Mm. So they're living nom, in Argentina nom, nom, nom. now. Um, they're living in Argentina now. 
for the listener, I was drinking yerba mate, which I believe is from uh, Argentina. Okay, fair. Okay, so Hannibal and Clarice are living in uh, Argentina now. Uh, Barney is traveling the world seeing the Vermeers and then with, with a lady and then he uh, runs away because he thinks he's been spotted by Hannibal and he knows how Hannibal would behave. So, uh, do you have any more notes in that chapter? Um, I did not remember that Starling went platinum blonde. Mm. That's, I think, a, a, a line that I glossed over in the past that was weird. Um, I was wondering, is that a sign of perhaps Misha or is it just her in disguise? Or some new Clarice 2.0 just all of the above yeah fair enough uh, which is interesting because I, I, I know it's personal bias and and I know there are people who actually have that hair color but there's always going platinum blonde is itself making a statement mm-hmm. that is not always perhaps the highest of taste mm-hmm. and so it's just interesting to me that that's all. Yeah. Just just like hmm. Maybe Hannibal's relaxed. I did I did <laughs> I did find it super creepy when Barney's panicked and like spying on Hannibal with the opera spyglass, and then Hannibal looks right at him with his own opera glasses, and Barney's like, "It's time to go. Fuck all this. We're out. <laughs> we are out. Nope." Yeah, and I hope it's he has a a fun time with that lady who is on sabbatical, and I hope she continues traveling with him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Chapter one hundred three. In this last chapter, we glimpse the life Hannibal and Carice lead together. Lovers and partners fully immersed in each other and enjoying the finer things life has to offer. What? I have a, I have a passage here. I have no notes, so you're, the floor is yours. <laughs> so this, this, what amuses me, I'm going to give you my, my reaction to the passage first, just so you can appreciate the thought process I had. And that was, as I read this, I went, are they talking about, oh, yeah, I guess they are. So here's the passage. Their relationship has a great deal to do with the penetration of Clarice Starling, which she avidly welcomes and encourages. It has much to do with the envelopment of Hannibal Lecter, far beyond the bounds of his experience. It is possible that Clarice Starling could frighten him. Sex is a splendid structure they add to every day. And I was like, huh, much like the breast, I did not remember this passage interesting uh but that's it it's just uh yep yeah days days doing it yeah it's uh it's again uh so i just don't feel like it's earned like it's i, I don't have a problem with the characters doing that in some sort of moral way but um, more of the book should have been spent on this transformation yes i feel like they're if there had been a, I want what I want to see is the moment where Clarice is in direct conflict with her former self. Yes, we we get this sort of like nuanced, subtle, like oh, because she's uh, leaving behind the part of her that cares about her father and law enforcement. That is somehow like that's somehow it, you know. Right. But that didn't feel like it. I don't. I don't see her. Like making the connections between I'm just I'm gonna leave my life behind. Like you know what? Like even if she had said something to Krenler, like uh, in that moment with Krenler, if she had been able to say something like, "I have no reason to, like, res- to appreciate anything or anything you have to say." Any like they do that by like they have conversations around him while he's mumbling and shitty. Right. But she doesn't have like a put her cigarette out in his brain moment where like it it's disrespectful and final. Like her her 
moving on from everything he represents. I just don't feel it. I just didn't feel it. Uh, I'm, I mean, even Superman if it, it, maybe 3 spent more time on this. Maybe it's there somewhere in, in the subtleties and the sure. folds of this book. But I I didn't feel it. And I didn't see it. And it, it it's unfortunately lacking. So, Doug, I think I agree with you. Okay, good. But otherwise, um, you know, as a, as a as a story, it's fine. Again, a lot of it's kind of familiar for me. But so so it doesn't feel like because we watch the show, it doesn't feel like incredibly new. Um, but you see where the show came from, and you see how the show made things better. I do, and I and it, it certainly uh, enriches the show for me in in a huh. way. Um, I do think that that Thomas Harris's penchant for making tiny chapters is fucking annoying, <laughs> and if you had read along with us, you might also feel that way. Maybe not, but, but like for me being, having the responsibility of writing the summaries, holy shit, was it annoying? So that's, that's that. I don't really have anything else to say about it. I mean, you've read this before, but how do you feel this time? Um, I think I'm more open to what the book is lacking. Mm -hmm. Being the, the, uh, just kind of yada, yada, yadaing the pupa stage of Clarice, the cannibal. Mm Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. Um, but it, it, it is still kind of a fun read to just see Hannibal out in the world. Yeah. It's uh, more of that. Or, you know, that Clarice Will Graham team up that we've always wanted. Right. Will we ever get that? I have no idea. Probably not. Probably not. Um, I mean, the last book Thomas Harris wrote, uh, which came out two years ago was interesting it was just kind of a small heist novel uh i i enjoyed it but it wasn't groundbreaking in any way Mm. and not related to this story at all not related at all it's about a um a woman in florida or the florida keys getting pulled into a a a robbery or a heist or crime crime world kind of thing Mm -hmm. and getting the better of it i liked it but it was it was very small sticks so next time, uh, we're gonna we're, unless you have do you have, do you have anything else you wanted to do before no. we move on? No. Well, no, I can... I don't I don't have a new word alert. I didn't have any words pop out of this last section. So uh, that's the end of the books. So that means we're gonna read a new book, listeners, and we've decided to buck tradition and just bite the bullet, as it were, for this next section of reading, and we're going to tackle the. Uh, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings saga, uh, saga, and there's a lot of debate about whether or not you should start with The Hobbit or with like Fellowship. Now it seems obvious that someone would say, "Well, if you're going to read those, you should start with The Hobbit." But we decided <laughs> to actually go the opposite direction and the opposite and so, direction. So, sorry, sorry, Hobbit fans, but um. We decided to go with The Children of Hurin, a canonically earlier story in the mythos, which is the, you know, this this story that I think is extrapolated and extended about a, a passage in the Cimmerillion or somewhere in there. And we're look, we're not going to read the Cimmerillion, but um, thank God. But we but this one is a is an actual novel that is attributed to being written by J.R. Tolkien. Uh, It's edited by his son, Christopher Tolkien, and I'm sure other people wrote it 
instead of Tolkien himself. But, because, again, I think it's like an extrapolation. But we'll get to it next episode. But if you'd like to read along with us, that's what we'll be reading. We're going to go from the preface through chapter four. We're not going to read chapter five. I'm going to say that as clearly as I can. I'm totally not paying attention to you. You have to tell me again in a moment when I can copy it down. I think I got Mm -hmm. you. But uh, Mm -hmm. while I couldn't, last time I looked, it wasn't available. It is now available in the Libby app. So I'm sending it to my Kindle as we speak. Wow. So you said preface through chapter four? Yes. Not not chapter chapter five. Exactly. No five. Done. Okay. All right. So thanks for sticking through the, the Hannibal stuff. I mean, not like it was a chore or anything, but you know, it's a pretty big book. This, this new book is a lot less book. The, the Hannibal book was what, like 500 pages. Yeah. And this is arguably half that. Yeah. This is only 249, I think. And, um, or something similarly, like, let me give it to my, I had my appendixes marked. My book has so much appendix. That yeah, welcome okay. to the world of Tolkien. So this book is only 259 pages long, honest, and that's and that's including the like contents pages and all that other stuff. So really, my preface starts on page nine, so it's really only what 250 pages long. It should be a remarkably short experience in comparison to the Thomas Harris Red Dragon through Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal Lecter saga. So let's taste something different next time. <laughs> Do you have anything else you'd like to add? I don't think so. Well, then let's wrap this up. That was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit.